I would like to now invite up our longtime friend of the congregation and son of the church, Denny Barger. Please come up and deliver the message this morning. Share for us from God's word to us. Nah, I like to keep them as short as we can. This is really loud and kicking back up here, fellas. So, uh, First of all, thank you for having us. We're, it's always a joy for Sue and I to come here. And, uh, you know, as those of you that don't know us, uh, she was raised in this church from a little girl and, uh, you know, and, you know, found out how, to, how much the Lord loves her, you know, through those years. And that's a wonderful thing. We were married here across the street, and uh, just a lot of wonderful memories. And when Tim says the son of the church, I think he's talking about being born again, because if it weren't for Lighty's church, I would not have been born again. So I am, and I'm happy to say that. Uh, we do thank you for supporting our ministry. Uh, Sue and I are missionaries. We're living in New Jersey, as the Lord would have it uh, right now. But our ministry is across the Middle East. and. Uh, Looking forward to getting back into Iraq and Jordan and some of those places that we love so much. You think it's hot here? <laughs> you ought to go over there. But uh, one of the things I'll just share briefly, um, I just got word a week or two ago about a young gal. We had decided to give a scholarship to a school in northern Iraq uh, where we do ministry. We've actually through the giving of congregations like this and individuals, we've totally renovated the school, so it's a nice place to go and learn. But uh, we thought, well, now what do we do? You know, let's give an, a scholarship. And one of the areas of scholarship that we're looking into was medical, if someone was going to go and be a, a doctor or a nurse especially. Uh, this area has six very small towns, but the nearest doctor is well over an hour away. So we thought, we need a doctor. And uh, it was a week or two ago, I got uh, notice that a young girl, her name is Deanna, uh, she finished her first year at medical school and uh, got straight A's throughout the whole year. So we praise the Lord for that. That's a good investment, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, also, we don't often have paparazzi running around behind us. But on our uh, last mission trip to Jordan, um, this group came along from Calvary Chapel Magazine. And uh, we're featured in there with our medical. Our, uh, and as I said the last time I was up here, if you are uh, uh, a professional in the medical field, of, of, you know, be it physical therapy, nursing, doctors, we really need doctors, um, dentists, dental assistants, we could use your help. Uh, when we go back. And we're planning to go back again in February, so you've got plenty of time to be praying that up. But uh, anyway, they sent these two guys along with these really big cameras, and I didn't want them to come. Honestly, I don't like cameras when I'm doing mission work. And, uh, but we realized that by putting us in the magazine, we might be able to recruit some folks. So please pray about that. And uh, we did bring a few extra copies, and they're in the office. Is that good? You want to get started? Okay. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open them back up to Colossians 3. 
And uh, it's nice they put things up on the wall and all, but there's nothing like carrying your Bible wherever you go. You know, that makes a statement in and of itself. Um, You know, it's good to have God's word with you in your heart, but also in your hand, because when people see that, they, they might ask you, hey, what's that all about? And it gives you yet another opportunity to glorify God who loves you very much and probably loves them too. So um, while you're looking for Colossians 3, I'll tell you a true story. It's about my son Ezekiel. He's 35 years old now. When he was a mere eight years old, I decided to take him fishing for the very first time. Now, after we took time to put the worm on the hook and I showed him how to do that and he had a bit of practice with it, it was time to teach him how to cast. Now, he's an eight-year-old, right? They get a little nervous. And also I said, look, son, you stand back over here next to the car because I'm going to pull this line back with the hook on it and cast. So you stay there and you'll be safe. So I did just what I said. I had the pole. I pulled her back and I released it and I went to go forward, but it only went so far. You see, the hook was stuck in Ezekiel's head. He didn't listen. He, he said, oh, he, I said, why'd you do that? I told you to stay by the car. He said, well, I don't know, Dad. I just did it, you know. So that ended the fishing trip. You know, we spent the next couple hours in a clinic somewhere. And uh, By the way, if you ever do go fishing, uh, putting a greasy fishing hook in your head is probably the worst place you can put one. Um, so, but why am I telling you that? Well, as I was giving instructions to my son that would lead to a really good day if he would just listen, um, so also our Heavenly Father gives us instructions. And these instructions are designed uh, to do a number of things. First of all, they're, they're given to protect us. They protect us from the hook of sin. You know, if you didn't have the Bible, you wouldn't know what sin is anyway. But God lays it out and he said, you know, these are things you don't want to be about. Uh, His loving instructions to his children, they also protect us from heresy and from false teaching. And in this letter, this wonderful letter to the Colossian church, Paul's going to address that. You know, there was a lot of bad teaching going on, trying to lure people away from God's good grace, God's good intentions into just being like everybody else, messed up. Uh, These are instructions to help us live what Jesus called the abundant life. You know, John 10, 10, and he talks about how the thief comes to rob and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life abundant. That's a better life than any other world philosophy, any other religion can give. God says, hey, I got a better way. Follow these instructions. And that better life is based on his grace, Gives us a life of purpose. Ever meet people that just feel like they're meandering about? Really, well, what am I here for anyway? Uh, As a believer in God, you don't need that because he gives us purpose. You know, there was a church not too far from here a number, many number of years ago, and Sue and I were new Christians, and they were having a couple of biker guys as guest speakers, and we wanted to hear them, so we went over to, to listen. And I'll never forget these two big, burly biker guys. They said, you know, the Lord really changed them because they were used to lay hands on people a certain way, and now that through the Bible, they said, oh, you can lay hands on people another way. 
Pastors know that. <laughs> you either bless them or you lay hands on them and give them the heave-ho, you know. So we went to hear these fellows speak, and I'll never forget the guy said, if, if you're wondering what kind of ministry you ought to be in, and, and he said, and we're all called to mission. Not, there's no exceptions there. He said, I'll tell you this, put a blindfold on and walk out your front door. And I guarantee you within five minutes, you'll trip over it. Anybody think we live in a world of great need? Got neighbors that are really messed up people? Got, I know you got relatives that are messed up. <laughs> you know, we, see them, we see more of the mess the closer we are. Once one of my uh, sons was going through a particular problem, a very serious emotional problem, relational problem, I said, why didn't you come and talk to me? You know, I help people through their difficulties. He said, well, Dad, you only have one answer for everything. I said, well, what is that? He said, you know, Jesus. I said, and your point is? Because for every relational problem in the world, there is an answer, and it's a person, it's our God, it is Jesus the Christ. And this is what people need. And if you think the world's screwed up, rather than just sit around and complain about it, why don't we all start talking about Jesus? You know, we want to be part of the solution, right? Not just cranky about the problem. So I'm way off my notes already. Uh, so, Tim, I, I probably was serious. It's going to be a long one if I keep doing this. So let's get back. So here's this wonderful, wonderful chapter of instructions to the the ones he loves so much. And um, before I get into it and we really examine this chapter closely, um, it's good to have a little bit of background. Paul wrote to the Colossians about the doctrinal error that had come into the church. And he wants to spur them on to, um, to show them that Jesus is sufficient. He's not just the answer to every relational problem, but he's answered every theological problem as well. He's sufficient, and he will help us understand life. So in his rebuttal of their heresy, he's written this wonderful letter. And the first half of this book of Colossians, it's all about that. How he's saying, look, you know, these guys are wrong. They're, they're saying that Jesus is not fully man. He's not fully God. You can do it the way you want to live your life. Just go ahead and live it. No, no, no. He said, that's all wrong. And so the first part of it is this wonderful rebuttal. And then in the second half of the letter, it's a, you might say, a short course of ethics. How do we apply the wonders of God, the wonders of Christ as he pours into us, how do we then pour that out into the community? Someone once said that Colossians, like the letter of Ephesians, they're very similar. They begin in the heavens and they end up in the home. So do yourself a favor, go home, read Colossians again, read about how wonderful and amazing our Lord is, and then you'll understand the second half as well. Now, we had this problem with the false teachers, this heresy, and it came, oddly enough, in two different ways. There were two heresies going on in the church at that time. Uh, one of them, as I said, was this defective view of Christ, you know, that they were saying he's not fully man, not fully God, and we hold that truth to be, you know, dear to our heart. 
Another group, however, emphasized circumcision and ascetic traditions. In other words, they would deny themselves certain foods and um, just deny this, deny that in order to be saved. And Paul just throws that right out the window. Look at chapter 2 with me, verse 8. Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Boy, wouldn't that describe our colleges today? You ask any youth pastor out there, and they'll all tell you the same thing. When our kids go off to college, we lose about 80% of them to the devil. You train them up all, all those years in church and in Sunday school and in youth group, and then they go to these bastions of atheism, you know. And, uh, lately, I used to tell people it's good to go to college. I don't do that anymore. Make more money anyway. Go get a job as a plumber. <laughs> You'll probably make more money anyway. Um, I know the last guy that came to my house, he worked about 20 minutes and walked off with about 300 bucks. So anyway, again, so he says, look, you know, be careful they don't take you captive to these empty philosophies. And then in verse 9, he says, For in him, in Christ, all the fullness, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you've been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. And in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You can cut off anything you want. It's not going to get you into heaven. But the thing that God does is he cuts off. He gives us a circumcision of the heart where he cuts off that sin nature that propensity to run and do sinful things. He cuts that off. He does that for us. <sighs> Look at verse 16 with me in that same chapter. He addresses these people that would have you cut everything off. Uh, verse 16, he says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. The real deal is Jesus. You know, I had a guy uh, got mad at me because we were missionaries living in the Middle East. Now, Sunday is a work day. You don't go to church on Sunday. You go to work. Friday is the day off, Friday and Saturday. We worshiped in a school. They had classes on Sunday. We couldn't use the building. So therefore, we worshiped on Friday. But this guy got irritated with me about something, not hard to do, and uh, he, he said I was a heretic. A heretic, mind you. That's a pretty serious word because I didn't worship on Sunday. I worshiped on Friday. I tried my best to be polite and tell him, look, pal, we're supposed to worship every day. But Paul here, these people were coming in and they were saying, well, you've got to do this on this day and you've got to have this festival and you can't eat this, you can't drink that. And they went on and on. Uh, he said in verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you, defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he's seen, inflated with that caused by his fleshly mind, 
and not holding fast to the head, that's Jesus, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use? You know, it's either going to rot or rust. <laughs> either way, he said, it's not doing anything good spiritually. Uh, verse 23, he said, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Did you notice that phrase, self-made religion? Self-made religion. So whether it's hedonism, which says just do whatever you feel like, or asceticism that says, oh, don't touch, don't drink this or that, um, they're both self-made religions. You know, it's sort of like ionism. You know, you, you understand that. You know, it's sort of like I made my life the way I am. I'm master of my own destiny. I make my own rules. It's, it's like that Frank Sinatra song I sang. Now, Frank's from New Jersey, and so am I, so I have a lot of respect for him. But he really blew it when he came out with that song, I Did It My Way. I don't know about you, but I was doing it my way for about 25 years, and I was pretty close to going to prison. I did it my way. As a Christian, I found out, no, 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 no. I did it Yahweh. Okay? So it's either, and it's one or the other. This is very black and white. Either you're going to live life my way or you're going to live it Yahweh, his way, right? Frank Sinatra, what a mess. They said they actually, when he was buried, they actually put a little uh, pint of whiskey in his inside pocket. I'll bet you if we dug him up, we'd, we could all have a drink. No, no, I know. I don't drink. I, that's for you guys. Now, hedonism doesn't get you any closer to God. And then in practicing asceticism, that's where people uh, deny physical and emotional pleasures in order to uh, gain some spiritual perfection. You know, hey, look at me, God, look at me. Look how pure I am. Look how holy I am. Well, that doesn't work either. Paul actually said there in, uh, what was that, verse 23, he says, but all these are of no value against fleshly indulgence. You can deny yourself whatever you want, uh, but you're still going to be a sinner. I, I was in Egypt years ago, um, me and some friends went out to a monastery and I met this old monk out there and he was an interesting guy. I said, what brought you out here? And he said, well, I used to live in Cairo in the city and as a young man, he said, you know, there were so many temptations there. He said, honestly, I was just full of lust. I'd, I'd see the women, I'd see the money, I, I would look for power. There's all different kind of lust that can go through a, a person's head, you know. And so he said, I decided to move out here in the desert. And he went so far to escape all the fleshly indulgences that he moved into a cave. Can you imagine just leaving everything aside and uh, moving into a dusty cave hundreds of miles away? way out in the desert. 
So I said to him, well, hey, how's that going for you? You know, did that work? And he said, well, there, there was a problem with that. He said, uh, I moved out here and I got to get away from everything, but I, there was one thing I didn't count on. I came along. He said, I brought myself. And all that junk was in him. It wasn't the world per se. It was what was in him, what was in his heart. And um, self-abasement just doesn't work. Won't give you, get you into heaven because you're still you. And I think we all know that, right? I mean, we do try. We try to behave ourselves and be kind and loving. And, and, and all of a sudden, it just comes out. I, it, I hate it about myself. It frightens me sometimes, you know. But uh, there's an old hymn that says, Lord, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, you know. I think we're all prone to wander. That's why we need to be here. And that's why you're here today. And God bless you for coming. Uh, a couple of folks heard I was preaching. They decided to go down to the shore. <laughs> but you did the right thing. We do try. We, we do want to work with God on our, you know, he says, work out your salvation. What does that mean? You know, think about it. So Paul says none of this stuff works. And... Um, but what does work, he records in chapter 2, verse 13 through 14. Let's go back there. When you were dead in your transgressions, that means you were, you were condemned, you know, that you had committed these sins and there was only one thing that God could do with you and that was, you know, punish you and send you to hell. You were dead in your transgressions, period. By the way, let me just quickly insert here. You know, the first verse I learned here at Lighty's Church was there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit will convict you when you do those wrong things, okay? Don't, don't worry about that. He loves you, so he's got his eye on you. He's going to convict you. However, there's a big difference between a conviction and a condemnation. Do you understand that? If you're convicted, you might go to jail and do some time. If you're condemned, you're going to the gallows or the electric chair. Big difference. Your God loves you. He convicts you of sin. Listen to him. Uh, but back to the text here. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you know, following those religious rules, he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgression, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Don't you just love that? That's the God that you serve because that's the God who wants to give you these instructions, these fatherly, loving instructions. And yet we balk, oh, don't tell me what to do, you know. No, he tells you what to do because he loves you, because he paid the penalty, because he saved you from the chair. Amen? Amen. Well, that was the introduction. <laughs> Here we are, Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read the first four verses. Therefore, if... If you got a pen, seeing the things above, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth or the Disney Channel. Wait, that, that must be a misprint. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now, I teach theology uh, classes twice a week, and when I read that verse, I, I got kind of excited because, you know, the, the, the theology of the entire Christian life is right there in those four verses. Uh, you know, therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, what does that speak of? That's salvation. And it, it's God who did it, okay? You receive salvation by faith in Christ. You know Ephesians 2 very well. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God as a result of work so that no one may boast. Being raised refers to being born again. Being born again is what we call regeneration. It's a new you. It's not just a new look. Spiritually, regeneration means that God brings a person a new life. As we say, they're born again. And... Uh, yeah, I remember years ago, I was like six months into it, I said to Armin Weller one time, I got excited about a message. I said, you know, Armin, one day I'm going to be a Christian, just like that. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm going to be a real Christian. He said, well, when did you ask the Lord into your heart? And I said, about six months. Okay. He says, well, that's when you became a real Christian. Okay. Don't to be mean about it. Um, well, he wasn't mean. He loved me so much. I'm oh, so grateful for that man. But that's when you become a new Christian, a, a, a real Christian. It doesn't get any better than that. You can't make it better. God saves us. Then he has us born again, a new you. Uh, you know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What good news. I, I just love that. Well, with that declaration, God begins to work in you. And I, I briefly mentioned it, but there's a verse that says, work out your salvation. Well, what does that mean? If God's already done it all and I'm going to heaven, what's he mean? It means he wants to give you a better life. He means he wants you to live in a certain way that's going to reflect that love and salvation that you've received. This is called sanctification. It means being set apart unto God. It's not being separated from the world, although that is part of it. It's literally being separated unto God. You're his, you acknowledge it, you belong to him, and you start listening to what he tells you is the better life to live. Uh, it's also the will of God, by the way. First Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. As being a pastor all these years, the number one question I have gotten over all the years, pastor, how can I know the will of God? And I would point right to this. There's another one that says, and uh, everything give thanks because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So, you know, you, you want to know the Lord's will for your life? Well, you could put the blindfold on and walk out the front door or you could do it easier. Just read his word. He tells you. And it's his will that you be sanctified, that you be holy. Wow, how's that going for you? That is not easy. But I would say to you, relax. It, you know, sanctification is not a sprint. It's a marathon. 
It begins when we ask him into his heart, when we're born again, regenerated. And then he says, okay, let's work together and make you holy. It takes a little bit of us in that part. It's a partnership, in fact, a partnership in which we keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, where we're to set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. Uh, you know, uh, I have a good friend. He says one of the worst things you can do is start your day off by setting your alarm clock to the local news. Anybody do that? Oh, boy. You want to ruin your day, just listen to five or ten minutes of the world gone mad, okay? And then go out the front door. You know what happens when we're corruption? We're thinking of the things that are on earth. We're thinking of the corruption, of the perversion, of the weirdness, of the anger and the hostility and all that madness that's out there. And listening to that as you start your day, can, can, you can take on a bit of flavor of that. I used to have a job where I had a 45-minute commute, and for a while I was listening to talk radio. Boy, I was really getting an education on good politics and bad politics. But by the time I got to the job, I was one cranky guy, you know? And, you know, I'd just walk in the door like, I wouldn't even say hello. Did you get the job done? You know, like I was a supervisor. So I would just get on people's case right away. Well, after a while, I decided this is not doing me any good. It's not doing anybody else any good. So, you know, I started listening to praise music for 45 minutes. Now, all of a sudden, the door opened up. Here he comes. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. And they're all like, he is really getting weird. He's probably on drugs. (laughs) But what a difference. Okay? Think about the things that are above, not the things that are below. Uh, You know, when we think about the things below, we start dividing in the camps, and boy, that's the way the world is now. It used to be you could disagree much, you know, especially with politics. It used to be you could disagree and then still go out and have lunch and, you know, have a laugh. But today, we don't even talk to one another. So, and you know, somebody said to me, as a Christian, I shouldn't be known for what I'm against. I should be known for who I'm for. You see the difference? Anybody? I see some heads nodding. Give me an amen. Are you with me? You see the difference. Who are you for? Go back a couple pages, if you will, of Philippians. You know, I think, how am I going to do this? How do I live in this world and think of the things that are above? Uh, In Philippians, Paul wrote this letter about the same time he wrote Colossians. In chapter 4, I'll start in verse 9. This is how you do it. This is the better life that God promises. Verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You know, this is so important. He says it twice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It'll guard us. That's a wonderful thing because, as I said, we have the propensity to wander off. But this says we've got to guard. (laughs) Get back in line. (laughs) You can do this. So I'm going to John Niederhaus, you know. 
But he's in Indiana today, so I'm going to just keep talking all morning. You know I love John, I hope. I really do. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And here we go, things that are above. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true. That's a tough one today, okay? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, Dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Aren't they wonderful words? Wonderful, wonderful words. Well, I told you the whole thing of theology is right there in those first four verses. You know, we had the sanctification. We saw regeneration. uh, Excuse me, salvation, regeneration, and sanctification. Well, when does it end? Uh, In verse 4, it says, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. That's known as glorification. There is a graduation from all this. When Sue and I were first saved, we were going to church every Sunday in Bible study, every Tuesday night. And and one one day, I guess my mind was wandering off a bit. I, I, I said, hey, when do we graduate? You know, like, why can't I just go back to gardening or something instead of being in church all the time? And she just looked at me like I had two heads, you know. She, you don't graduate from being, you know. Like, well, you do graduate. It's when you go to heaven. And you're glorified with the Lord, okay? Where in the world am I? Okay. Let's look a little closely at some other wonderful, loving instructions the Heavenly Father gives. Consider the members of verse 5. He says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Uh, Let me just pause and say that word immorality uh, in the New American Standard. In other translations, it comes straight out. It's fornication. And in case you didn't understand what that is, uh, and I'll be sensitive here, this is any sexual relationship outside of the marriage between a loving man and a loving woman. Anything beyond that falls in that category. And the Lord said, you know what? They might tell you that's good, but it's not. It's not. So he says, you know, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to all that. For it is because of the sons of disobedience, wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Past tense, guys. If you received him in your heart, you once walked that way. No more. He's a loving father. Um, He says, do these things, you know. Stay by the car. I'm about to cast. (laughs) Verse 8 offers a verbal command. Put them all aside. He says, but now you also put them all aside. Uh, Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. All those things are evil. 
You know, you, you don't think of that, you know, when you think of evil. You think of evil, you think of Darth Vader, you know. Uh, but it, it's all those little things that we sometimes do. Oh, it was just a white lie. Oh. <laughs> no, a lie is a lie is a lie, you know, and it's all there. Um, to a true no so he talks about this and he says, you're being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised. Why is he saying that? Because this corruption had gone into the church, again, to divide people. Whatever you do, resist division. Okay, the, the politicians, they, if they keep us, you know, we're in here and they're out there and we're against one another, then the politicians do the sneaky things behind their, your back. Let's love our neighbor. Call the politicians out if you have to, but, you know, if, if, if you don't let them divide you. Male, female, racial division, all kind of division. Slave, free men. But Christ is all and in all. I love that. So he tells us, put all that aside. Put all that aside, all the abusive stuff and poisonous, nasty relationships and marriage and life and even in the church, you know. Uh, you know, when all that kind of stuff that we just read about is in the church, you know what, what it does? It stops evangelism. Absolutely stops it. Think about it. Who would want to go to a church filled with angry, uh, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech? I mean, you wouldn't want to go there. It's like the guy who was looking to move, and he took a drive out in the country. I don't know. It might have been around Satterton. I don't know. But he saw this farmer by a fence, and he stopped him, and he said, hey, uh, uh, what kind of people live around here? I'm, I'm thinking about moving. The old farmer was kind of wise. He said, well, what kind of people live where you are now? He said, oh, they're just nasty, no good for nothing people. They're always lying and backbiting. And all. The old farmer said, oh, my goodness. He said, you don't want to move here. Well, not too long. Ten times as many, just like that. Well, not too long later, another car came. The guy saw the farmer. He said, hey, I'm thinking about moving in this area. What are the people like here? The old farmer said, well, what are they like where you come from? You know, this is the hardest thing about our move. I've got some of the nicest neighbors. They care for one another. They're hardworking. We have a good community. He said, well, then you'll love it here because that's just the kind of people that live here. Now, what's the point of all that? Okay? Wherever you go, like that old monk, you're going to take you with you. Okay? It's not greener on the other side. It's greener right here in God's good church. Amen? Well... Uh, verse 12 there, he's, he's already told us to put off. Now he's going to tell us to put something on. So as those who have been chosen of God, love that phrase, chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart, here it comes, a heart of compassion. That means we, we care about people. Compassion literally means gut-wrenching in, in the Greek. There you go, you've got a Greek word. Uh, it, it means that you turn over inside with care. A heart of compassion, of kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know, one of uh, the people in our midweek Bible study uh, helped us understand humility about a month ago. She said, humility is not being offended by anything or anybody. I've been chewing on that one for a month. I'm not offended is what humility says. I'm not offended by people. 
A lot of people around here talk, these days talk about being offended. Go get over it. <laughs> Verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you implied forgive. That's amazing, isn't it? I know we, we said the Lord's Prayer about said you'll be forgiven the way you forgive others. Oh, I wish that wasn't in the Bible. That's a hard one. But Jesus is the one who proved it by hanging on the cross and looking at the very people who tortured and persecuted him and tried to put him to death. And, and, and what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Anyway, we need to move on. Uh, let me finish that reading in verse 14. It says, beyond all these things, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. And really, verse 14 describes verse 12 and 13. Love is the key right there. Um, moving along, he gives us some more instructions for a better life. In verse 15, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Well, I was reading that. Let the peace of Christ. I, I thought old John Lennon. Anybody old enough to remember John Lennon? Singing, give peace a chance. Turns out John Lennon was one of the angriest Beatles they had, you know. Uh, why, why did John's peace not work? He called the whole world. Come on, let's come with me. Let's give peace a chance. Why didn't it work? Because he didn't love, honor Jesus Christ. He, he, he was against Jesus. And it's only the peace of Christ that passes all human understanding. It's only the peace of Christ that can bring Peace, everlasting peace. So, as the other guy said, don't worry, be happy. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And this is so important to study our Bibles, right? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Uh, the word of Christ. You know, I, I mentioned that I teach, um, you know, systematic theology and that sort of thing. And the very first doctrine that we begin with is the doctrine of the Bible. Because the Bible is that which has to be foundational to the heart of the believer. If you don't believe in any, the inerrant word of God, you're going to have some problems. Uh, but when you put your faith in God, the one who wrote the book. You put your faith in the author, right? But read his book and apply it. And you're going to have this wonderful life. Scripture corrects our uh, wrong thinking. Elizabeth Elliot wrote this. She said, the word of God, I think of it as a straight edge which shows up our own crookedness. We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of Scripture. Scripture gives us hope. Billy Graham said, I've read the last page of the Bible. It's all going to turn out all right. Amen? <laughs> Scripture guides us to spiritual holiness, which is what we've been talking about, to perfection. A.W. Tozer said this, The word of God, well understood and religiously obeyed, is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. And we must not select a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. Paul tells us that whatever we do in that regard, do it with, as if unto the Lord and with thanksgiving. 
Um, there's no clock back there, Tim. Uh, you got me at a disadvantage, so I guess I might as well finish up. Okay. All right, Paul gets specific now in this next section. Some of that was to individuals. Some of it was to the church. But now he talks about families and um, the building block of society, right? He says a word to the wives. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And then he comes back on dads again. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Um, you know, this is the better life, uh, the better home life, if you will. Uh, but when you read that, people get upset sometimes. They, they hear this word submit, subjection, words like that. Um, and if I could just take a second to help you understand. If that's bugging you, don't let it bug you. It... it it's the responsibility of a man to love his wife like Christ loved the church. You've heard this before. We need to hear it often, I think. You know, just to love her. Uh, and, and if he loves her sufficiently, she'll be able to work out things with him and if need be, to submit to him. Um, somebody once said when God created Adam, of course, you know he created him out of dust, but when he created Eve, he took him from a bone out of Adam. And uh, I heard it put one way. They said he didn't take the bone from the top of his head that Eve would lord it over him. He didn't take the bone from the bottom of his foot that he'd walk all over his wife. He took the bone from his side where they could walk side by side in a loving relationship. How does this work out when God says, wives, you should submit to your husband? Uh, well, some people want to say you should respect them. But I believe the word submit is there for a reason. And it works like this. If the two of you have, have an issue that comes up, say you have to move to another country because of your job or another state, okay? Um, my wife moved three times to another country because of me, you know? Um, and how does that work out? Well, you know, you, you bring up the issue and you talk about it and you pray about it together. And if you still can't come to a conclusion, this is where the wife steps up, takes the high road and says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you because I think you're listening to the Lord. So three times we went through this and my wife actually got up and left this beautiful area and moved to, a, uh, to the Middle East of all places. One time we moved, and the first time was smuggling Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. There were people with machine guns and German shepherds and all that kind of weird stuff, okay? How could she do that? Because she recognized that I was submitting myself to God in that conversation, in that challenge. And she said to me one time, and I love it so much, I repeat it often, I'll probably get it a little bit wrong, but she said, you know, if I think you're listening to the Lord, I'll go with you wherever God calls. But if I think this is one of your crazy schemes, I'm going to dig in my heels and fight you to the death. <laughs> That's a good woman, okay? Three times, and I'm still here, I'm alive, okay? So... Well, of course, we got the kids in there and they're to respect and obey their parents. And uh, we're not to exasperate our children. You know, that simply means breaking your promises. 
dads, we, we, there's, there's life to be lived, there's jobs to be done. Sometimes we have to break promises, it's hard. Be careful breaking promises to your kids, all I can say. And uh, in, in conclusion, and here it is, we have a conclusion. If you want a better life, better than the vast majority of people that you know, simply follow these instructions of your Heavenly Father. He gave them because he wanted to protect you. He gave them because he wanted to improve you. He gave them to you so that you'd have the most wonderful life, and that is the life in Christ. Um, take your Bible off the shelf. Put it in your heart. Read it. Heed it. Be faithful to what you read. That's the foundation for all relationships and all situations. And uh, I think David knew this, and I'm going to close with this. David knew that the Father's instructions would definitely lead to a better life. And he wrote this in Psalm chapter 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. How blessed is a man who doesn't set his alarm clock to the local news. Okay. Nor stand in the path of sinners. That means join in with them. Nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Let's stand and pray, shall we? Father, the first thing out of our mouth is that we love you. We're so grateful for your love. We're grateful for your word. We know from your word that uh, we can love because you loved first. We thank you for that. We know that your word defines you as love, that, that God is love. That's who you are. Lord, help us to be more like you. Help us to be sons and daughters of you to such a degree that people will come out and say, you know, you look just like your dad. We want to be like you, Lord. We want to look like you, live like you, glorify you. Bless this church, dear to so many people's hearts, Lord. Bless this church. Let these things that we read today uh, be uh, an identifying mark of this church. Let your love prevail. Let your kindness and your humility prevail, that you again would be glorified. We love you. We look forward to the great things you're going to do here. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.